The Old Testament reading is from Exodus chapter 18. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and His laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Now, obey my voice. I'll give you advice. And God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God and who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You'll be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Right, the second reading, Acts 20, Paul is headed west. He's trying to get to Rome. He's going through Asia Minor for the last time. He thinks for the last time. And when he gets to Ephesus, he calls the elders of the church to come and talk to him. This is from Acts 20. Now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. 
I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I messed up the timeline there. Paul is headed to Rome. First, he's going to Jerusalem. He's going to get arrested in Jerusalem. And then he's going to appeal to Caesar and get shipped off to Rome. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the sixth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. In these days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Okay, uh, so this morning I'm going to do something a little bit different. If you're visiting with us, I, I usually preach a sermon right here. And what I'm going to do this morning is a little bit different. This is going to be more Bible study-ish uh, than sermon-ish. Uh, from here until Pentecost, which I believe is in uh, four weeks, uh, we're going to talk about stuff that relates to what I'm going to talk about this morning. And it's stuff that we all need to talk about. It's stuff that the elders have talked about. And then we've talked about it in adult Bible study. And now I'm bringing it to you guys. And that's kind of the way uh, that it'll, it'll work around here when we have things that we need. To, this is not bad, by the way. This is not bad news. It's just stuff that I, I think that we should know. This, I, I just realized that my tone there was maybe a little bit uh, scary. I didn't mean it to be. This has to do with the church and the way the church works. And I will say that I'm impressed with you guys. Now I'm talking to every, the, those of you who are uh, St. James people. Uh, I've been impressed with you guys uh, since I've been here uh, that you are eager to think outside the box. And that's kind of a cliche, I know. Uh, but let me, let me put it this way. You guys are eager to think in terms of like, what does God's word say? Not, not like how have we always done things or how have we always thought, but... What does God's word say and how should we think about our church and our mission in terms of the Bible and not just the way we've always done things? I've not told you yet what we're talking about. I will in just a second. <laughs> what do you think? Like, if, Think back through your uh, past church history and actually your time here at this church too. I've been a member, this is the sixth church in my life that I've been a member of, St. James's. And if I think back to all those six churches and you ask me, like, were those good churches or bad churches? And Angela's been at a bunch of those churches with me, and of course, uh, s several of them with uh, my mom and dad and my sister, who's here this morning, uh, go into these churches. And if you ask me, like, rank these churches in your head, which of these churches were good churches and which of these churches were bad churches? Like, I have definite thoughts about that. I, some of those churches, I'm like, that was a, that was a really solid church. And then some of the churches, I've been like, oh, I didn't like that church. And if you, like, if I think in my head, like, how do, how, how do I make that decision? It's not really a decision, it's just my opinion, right? It almost, tell me if I'm wrong or not. It almost always has to do with the pastor. Like, you judge, right or wrong, we judge churches based upon, like, the pastor who's there. What is it, this, this is, this is important enough that we need to talk about this, right? What is a pastor? Think about that word, pastor. 
It's not the word that all the churches use. A, a, a lot of, uh, most like low church, you know what I mean? Sort of like casual churches use the word pastor. Non-denominational churches, Baptist churches, a lot of Protestant churches, the LCMS churches use the word pastor. That's not a word that's always used for whatever it is that I'm supposed to be doing this morning. Uh, priest is another word, uh, if we were in different parts of the English-speaking word world, uh, rector or victor, vicar or curate or something like that. Pastor, where do we get the word pastor? Is the word pastor in your Bible? You would think that as important as it is in our life of faith, it would be all over the place. And yet, in the Bible that's sitting in the pew rack in front of you, the NIV, it shows up a total of one time. Ephesians 4.11. A lot of you walked in this morning carrying Bibles, and a lot of you who carry your Bibles to church have the ESV, the English Standard Version, with you. The word pastor doesn't show up in there at all. It's not in there at all. What what does it mean? Why do we call a pastor pastor? And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to... This is going to be a little bit difficult conceptually, not morally or spiritually, but conceptually, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to like monkey with the way that we use words normally. That's a little bit unfair. We, my wife and kids and I, with some friends of ours, played this game several months ago where we were sitting around the living room and we all wrote our names on pieces of paper and then put them in the middle and then mixed them up and everybody took a piece of paper and you had a different name, you know, so I would be like Reeve. That would be my name. And then somebody would say, uh, Angela, stand up. And it would be the person who would stand up was not Angela. You know, it might be Harry. And then you, ha- you had to remember who all these people were. So you had the difficulty of remembering like their new names against the backdrop of knowing that that name actually belongs to somebody else who's there. And so it's kind of confusing. That's a little story to tell you. This is what I'm going to do to you this morning. All right. Ephesians 4.11, that's the only place in the New Testament where the word pastor is used. It's a list of spiritual gifts. God gives apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers. It's the only time the word pastor shows up. What does the word pastor mean? Well, look at our, uh, uh, our Acts reading this morning from Acts chapter 20. The word pastor is actually just the word for shepherd. Uh, think about like the word pasture. A place where sheep are kept. That's the word, that's, that's all the word, that's all that the word pastor means is a uh, shepherd, right? In Acts 20, Paul is, has called the elders of Ephesus to him. And look at verse 28. We're going to spend a little bit of time in verse 28. We're going to try to go kind of quick here. Pay careful attention, Paul tells him, to yourselves and to all the flock. So, I mean, this is, uh, shepherd language, right? He's already brought in the word flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And now in the NIV, which is the addition here in our bulletin, it says to care for the church of God. Actually, in Greek, it says to shepherd. It says literally to shepherd. It's the verb form of the same word that Jesus uses when he refers to himself as the good shepherd. To shepherd the flock of God. This is what pastor means is to shepherd, to take care of. Shepherd, pastor, is the least common word that the New Testament uses to refer to what I'm doing. Hardly, now it, only once in a noun form, Ephesians 4.11. A lot of times in verb form it'll show up, like right here in verse 27. It doesn't say to pastor the flock of God, but it says in, in Greek it says to, 
to shepherd the flock of God. I'll give you another example. First Peter 5, uh, Peter says, I charge you as a fellow elder to shepherd the flock of God that's under you. So you're pastoring, you're shepherding. That's what you're supposed to be doing, okay? But it's not very common. I mean, the word shepherd pops up a lot. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, right? Uh, uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. But they're actually referring to a human being who ministers to a church. It doesn't come up very often. There is a word, the most common word, to refer to what we, what you and I normally call pastor, is actually... Uh, here in the text at the very beginning, look at the very first verse in verse 17. Now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to him. Elder is the most common word that we use for pastor. In fact, in the New Testament, elder and pastor are completely synonymous. In 1 Peter 5, the verse I just read to you, now pay, pay real close attention to, to, to me, not because what I'm saying is like, it's just a little bit conceptually difficult because we're, we're about to play the game where my name is Reeve. Pastors, elders are called to shepherd the flock in 1 Peter 5.1. Peter says, as an elder to the elders among you, I say, pastor the flock. Elders and pastors are synonymous. Here in our text in Acts 20, he calls the elders and then he tells them to pastor the flock of God that are among you. So elders and pastors are the exact same thing. Now, this is going to be weird because we usually divide those things up. Typically in LCMS churches, this is the way it's worked historically, is you have what historically was referred to as Herr Pastor, the Lord Pastor. And the pastor in the church, now, as time has gone along, it's less this way. But, uh, but 50, 75 years ago, the pastor in the church was the Lord of the church. And what he said went, and he was the master. And you had elders there. But their job was basically to show up at a meeting once a month, you know, and nod their heads and maybe rubber stamp whatever the pastor wanted to do. Elders didn't do a whole lot. And now what I'm saying is here in the New Testament, Paul uses the word elder and pastor interchangeably. Elder's the most common word for this job. I'm actually, if we want to talk in New Testament terms, I'm less a pastor than I am an elder. There's another word that's more common than pastor, but not as common as elder, and that's the word overseer. Look back at verse 27, or 28. Be careful, be care, uh, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That word comes up quite a bit in reference to this. So there's three words. There's elder, there's overseer, which is the person who watches over, and then there's just one time and a handful of verbs. Pastor, the person who shepherds the flock. Now, this is, why is this important? Uh, two, two main reasons why I'm bringing this up this morning. So there's two specific reasons. There's a big overarching reason, which is this. I want us at St. James to think biblically about how this church is led and run. And I think that if we do things the way we just have always done them, we will be, I'm not going to say it's going to be sinful. I'm just going to say it's less biblical than it could be. It's less biblical than it ought to be. What I'm doing this morning is I'm trying to call us, all of you, to think about church leadership in terms of how the Bible describes it. Now, there's two main reasons why I want to bring this up. First, look in verse 17. Now, from my lead, again, we'll read this again. Now, from my lead, as Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. The word, the church there is singular. Elders there is plural. You will find this to be the case 
all the way through the New Testament, there is never one pastor of a church. There is never one elder of a church. There is never one overseer of a church. And now, while some of you are thinking, oh, he's about to stand up here and say, we need to call another pastor. No, I'm not saying that. I I want you to hold on and pay attention. We don't need to call another pastor. Hold on and pay attention with me just for a few minutes. Elders is always plural, even when church is singular. Acts 20, 17. Let me give you a few more instances. Philippians 1, 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus of Philippi. Together with the overseers, here's a church, but he's saying in this church there are overseers. There are multiple overseers, elders, pastors. And also he's going to mention deacons, which we will get to next week. We'll start talking about deacons as well. There's two, a sidebar here. There's two offices in the New Testament church that are described in the New Testament. There's elders or bishops or overseers, overseers or or, uh, pastors, and there's deacons. We don't have any deacons in this church right now, but they're in the New Testament church, so this is kind of a preview for next week. We will talk next week about deacons. Uh, James 5.14, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders, plural, of the church, singular, to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Here's one church, James says, multiple elders. Titus 1.5, the reason I left you in Crete, Paul says to Titus, was so that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders, plural, in every town, singular, as I directed you. 1 Peter 5, 1-2, through to the, to the elders, we already read this. Peter says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds, plural, of God's flock, singular, that's under your care. Elders, always plural. Now, P- Peter refers to himself, like he says, I'm an elder. But in, a, in the context, you can do, an elder can say, I'm an elder. But in the context of the church life, there's never one singular elder. Now, why is this the case? Because it's just the way that God designed his people to be led. We, we're not gonna, we're not gonna read these again, but the Old Testament reading from Exodus, right? Moses is trying to be in charge of the entire people of God by himself. And God says to him, you can't do that. You have to be in charge with other people also in charge. Now, I'm not saying I'm, this is an argument from the greater to the lesser. I'm not Moses. I'm not a prophet or anything. But if Moses needed help leading a church, then certainly a single pastor needs help leading the church. We read that bit about uh, about Jesus calling the apostles. Why is it that when when Christ was uh, crucified, raised from the dead, and ascended to heaven, why did Christ not say, okay, I'm going to find my replacement? I'm going to pick the best or the brightest or the most holy apostle and say, now you're taking over for me. The reason why is because God did not design any of this to run being led by one person. I am an incredibly broken human being. If I am in charge of this church and I'm allowed to do whatever I want, there are some things that I'm good at that the church will end up being good at, maybe. But there's a lot of things that I'm really, really bad at that I will impress upon the church. I will force the church to bear my weaknesses. We talked a few months ago about the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. Because we're all sinful and broken, none of us is fit to take on the role that only Jesus himself can do which is to be the savior of the church or the savior of the world. I need help. Thankfully, it is built into the economy of scripture that I don't run the church by myself. And let's say that we're like turning this like this massive mega church and we call like four associate pastors 
and for whatever reason we call me the senior pastor, it still would be the case that I should not be in charge of this church. I'm not fit for it. I'm not able to do it. It's not the way that God has designed me to be. It's not the way that God has designed us to be. God has called us to have multiple leadership. This is why he has arranged for the church to be led by a plurality of elders, a team of pastors. Now, what does that do to me? Um, because I stand up here and preach, and like I serve the sacrament. Am I different than the other elders? Actually, there's no difference in the New Testament between elders. There's not like a single elder who's like senior elder or most holy elder, elder or reverend elder or whatever it is. The elders are just the elders and they share together in the responsibility of caring and shepherding for the flock of God and they don't have like a most important one. However, in practice, while all the elders of this church should have equal authority, we'll talk about what authority means in just a minute, over the life of the church, in practice, the people who stand up here and handle God's word in the sacraments end up having more authority. I'll explain this in a minute, but first let me give you a verse from 1 Timothy 5. Paul says this, The elders, plural, who direct the affairs of the church, singular, well, are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Paul seems to indicate that there will be a difference in responsibilities. Some elders' main job might be administration or caring for the flock in tangible ways. Some elders' main job is going to be to handle the word, and that person is going to end up having more authority. But it's not my authority. It's just the authority that comes from the Bible. Does that make sense? A lot of you people ask me, what, so some people will say, you know, what should we call you? What do you Pastor Miller, Pastor Aaron? I always try and encourage you to call me uh, Aaron because that's my name, which my uh, mom, Happy Mother's Day, gave me. I actually prefer that name. I don't want any sort of authority or respect just because I have a title. Now, now some, of, some, some, some of you, especially those of you who are older, are going to say, well, that's, that's not right. You should have the authority and respect of the title. And I'm going to say, okay, I'm not going to disagree with you. I just don't want it. I don't want you to respect me or to listen to me because I have the title. Because there are people who have that title who need to not be listened to. There are people who have that title. Paul says, amongst your own selves will come in people like doing damage to the flock of God. I need you to be on guard against what I'm saying. I need you to always be measuring and weighing weigh what I say against the standard of God's word. Why do I, I, I don't really want authority, but if I have any tiny bit of authority in this church, it will not be mine. It will be because I say something from the Bible. If, if somebody out here says, okay, yeah, we should be led by a, by a plurality of elders and not by a single pastor. I don't want it, be, it to be because, well, the pastor said it, and so I guess I have to do it. I want it to be because I just demonstrated from Scripture that that's the way the New Testament church is designed to work. I want the authority to come from here, not because there's a nameplate on my door that says Pastor Miller. Does that make sense? I don't need or want the authority. I don't want the authority, first of all, because that's just not my personality, although I say that, and that's the kind of thing that I would say to try to get authority over you. And I will, at times, want to flex my muscles. I will sinfully and selfishly manipulate to get my way around here, and then I need to be called on it. But I don't need the authority. That would be bad for you if I was completely in charge of you. 
I need other men of God to team up with me and to help shepherd this church with me. I cannot do it on my own, and I should not do it on my own. So there should never be a solo leader of a church. The church in the New Testament is always led by a team of pastors, overseers, elders. Although it does look from 1 Timothy 5 that there are some elders whose job, main job it is to handle the word and the sacraments. Now, let's look for just a few minutes at qualifications of elders. Can you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3? And we'll be done in just a second. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3 with me. It's on, if you're going to use the Pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 882. And let's just look at these real quick. Because I do, I, I mentioned a second ago that the elders have authority in the church. And I want to talk to you about what that authority looks like. What that authority means. I told you that the authority of the eldership that, that I want to have is just the authority of the Bible. Not the authority of a status or a title or a job description. But the authority of the Bible which I speak to you. Let's look at the way the elders look in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, this, so this is important because this is not, I'm not telling you what to do here. It's the Bible that's the most important thing. And you're going to want to get this from the Bible, okay? Do not walk out of here and, 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 and say, well, Aaron said this. I want this to come from the Bible. And if what I'm saying doesn't come from the Bible, I need somebody to stop me at the door and say that was unbiblical. So what we're about to do next is super important, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Here's a trustworthy saying. Paul says, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, which is, you, you know, now that's synonymous with elder or pastor, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach. The husband of, of but one wife, a one-woman man, temperate. Now look at the language here. This is not the way leadership in the world works. Leadership in the world values power, energy, dynamism, the ability to manipulate and control people with your, the ability to influence people with your words. I mean, there's whole books that you can buy at Books a Million about how to influence people with what you say. But here's the value of the leaders in Christ Church. Uh, temperate. Well, you know, almost laid back. Self-controlled. Respectable. Hospitable. This is an important one. Able to teach. Able to articulate your faith. Not all Christians can articulate their faith well, or want, or want to articulate, or able to articulate their faith, articulate their faith well. But that's actually a qualification for being an elder. Not all of you can do that because not all of you have thought about it. Not all of you have studied it. Not all of you are gifted in speaking about what you think. And that's okay. But it's a responsibility that the elders be able to articulate what they believe. All right. Able to teach. Uh, not given to drunkenness. Not violent, but gentle. Not likes to fight guy. Again, how do you make headway in a boardroom? You have to stand up for what you want. You have to be firm. And here it's the opposite. Not quarrelsome. Almost willing to be run over. This is the qualification for biblical leadership in the church. Is this almost sort of gentleness. Uh, not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome. Not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall into the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. The, the, the qualifications for leading the church are completely different. No, I shouldn't say completely. That's not, that's not true. Are frequently different than the qualifications for being a good leader in this world. Earning respect by being gentle. Not demanding but respect by being strong. Not a bully. Not someone who likes to fight. Not someone who cares about money. 
but someone who is gentle and hospitable and temperate. These are the things. Why am I telling you guys this? Because I need some of you to be elders. And I need the rest of you to know who these people are. To be able to recognize these people as leaders of the church. And you have to know the qualifications if you're going to do this. I need you guys to be thinking and praying along with me. Because I can't do this on my own. I need you guys to do this with me. Now, able to teach is important. Gentle is also important. One last text and then we're going to be done. Flip over to 1 Peter 5. This is on page 882 of your, of your pew Bible. So just a few pages over to your right. First Peter 5, verse 1, page 882. To the elders among you, Peter says, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Now he's going to tell elders what they should do. Be shepherds of God's flock. So there's that word for pastor again, right? Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. There's the word for overseer again. So in the space of two verses, he uses all three words in the New Testament for pastor. Elder, shepherd, and overseer. And now here's important. Not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Check this out, verse 3. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. The authority of elders is not one of lordship. It's not one of being a boss. For those of you who desire to be an elder at St. James... The task before you will not be, I'm in charge. This church is going to do what I tell them to do. If I ever have that persona, and I will, I need you guys to bust me. Because that's not what I'm called to do. The leadership that God has given me is the leadership of service. The leadership of being example. Leadership of being run over. Of being gentle. And I do a horrible job at this. I know some of you who know me best know that I really stink at this. This is why I need accountability. This is why I need you guys to help me to do this. So I need you guys to look around and find people who fit these qualifications, who can lead not by lording it over people, but by gentle example, by following the flock. Okay, so it's a little bit different. This is not really a sermon. It's more of a Bible study this morning, and next week will probably be a lot of the same. So what are we doing here? Let's kind of wrap up real quick here. I want you guys to be praying with me about to think of me not in terms of like, I can't imagine that anybody would think of me as Lord Pastor, but think of me as one member of a necessary team that needs to be here in charge. Think of the elders, not as people who meet once a month and kind of like, okay, yeah, yeah, we'll vote on stuff, but as people amongst you who are willing to share in the shepherding of this flock, who are willing to share in the caring for this flock, like actively participate in pastoring this church. Maybe, most likely, I'm going to be the one who handles the word mostly. I'm going to be the one who serves the sacrament, but I can't do this on my own. It's God's will that I have others help me. Will you guys pray with me about that and be looking for these sorts of things? Now, next week we're going to be talking about deacons. If the deacons are also in office in the New Testament church, and I know this is going to be weird because what churches have any of you ever been to, especially those of you who grew up Lutheran, who've ever had a deacon? And yet, there it is in the New Testament. Deacons will be necessary to enacting mercy ministry, to take care of... To, to, to taking care of those amongst us who have physical needs, to taking care of those in the community who have physical needs. We have often stalled out in meeting the physical and psychological and emotional needs of those amongst us and around us because we've just assumed that Herr Pastor, Lord Pastor, is going to do it. 
And Lord pastor is not designed to do it. The church is designed to do it. That's why God has given the church deacons and deaconesses. So next week we're going to talk about that, and I'm going to ask you guys to do the same thing. I'm going to ask you guys to pray who amongst us is filled with wisdom and faith in the Holy Spirit to be deacons and deaconesses and lead the ministries that we need to, to be the church of Jesus Christ here in Glen Carbon. Okay, let me, this is a little bit different. Let me finish this up with prayer this week. God, I thank you for your word and I thank you for uh, communicating your desires to us. Help us not to get caught in the trap of thinking that the way we've always done it is okay. Although sometimes the way we've always done it is okay. But help us to go back to your word and examine these sorts of things and ask you to tell us by the power of your Holy Spirit how you want us to be the church of God here in Glen Carbon. And Lord, I firmly believe based upon your word that I am not called to be the Lord of this church. I'm not called to be the one man master of this church but I'm called to share the pastoring responsibility with elders. people, Men who you've called and raised up to be gentle, to lead by example and by service, not by being bullies, not by being lords, but by being lovers of your flock. And I pray that you would raise these people up and that you would empower them with your Holy Spirit to carry on the work of the ministry here. And we know that you're going to do this because it's your design for the church and you've promised that your church will prevail so that even the gates of hell do not conquer it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.